Good afternoon. Welcome to this afternoon's edition of the Rich Urban Show. I am your host, Richard Urban, coming to you from historic Harper's Ferry, West Virginia. So today we're having the third installment on this 10-part series on family-rooted and absolute sexual ethics. And we're very happy to have on today Scott Birch as our guest. So hi, Scott. Hello, Richard. So, Yes, and he is in Wisconsin, Milwaukee area. So we're going to, um, I'm going to read from the speech. So I'm going to share the screen and you can read along. And then we're going to have commentary on this section. So we're going to read from this section of the family rooted in absolute sexual ethics, which is a model for God's absoluteness, peace and ideal and the global kingdom by Reverend Sum Young Moon. Second is a model of absoluteness in the love of husband and wife. More precious than life itself, this is the heavenly law of absolute fidelity. Husband and wife are eternal partners given to each other by heaven. Through having children, they become the co-creators of true love, true life, and true lineage. And the origin of that which is absolute, unique, unchanging, and eternal. This is because it is a heavenly principle that one person cannot give birth to a child by him or herself even in a thousand years. How can people who preserve their purity before marriage and whom God binds together in a pure marriage as husband and wife deviate from the way of heaven and go astray, following a wrong path? We human beings are different from animals. If they understand God's purpose in creating them as his children, they will realize that the wrong path is one of unimaginable betrayal and defiance of the creator. It is a path of self-destruction along which they dig their own graves. Resulting from the human fall, this path falls outside the realm of the ideal of creation. Ladies and gentlemen, the absoluteness of conjugal love is the greatest blessing that heaven has bestowed on humankind. Without adhering to the principle of absolute sexual purity, the path to the perfection of one's character and spiritual maturity is closed. Furthermore, without securing the foundation of absolute sexual morality within a true family of perfected individuals, it is impossible for God to manifest with dignity as the incarnate God of character. In order for God, the absolute being, to have direct dominion over our lives and to live and share joy with us, we who are created as his object partners and children must assume the form of a perfected family based on the standard of absolute sexual ethics as God intended. Only within the boundaries of a family upholding absolute sexual morality is it possible to create relationships based on an ideal model of sexual ethics for life as it should originally have existed. This life includes a three-generational realm of grandparents, parents, children, and grandchildren. Please understand clearly that God's eternal life and a person's eternal life are possible only on this foundation. Therefore, if Adam and Eve had achieved individual perfection, the perfection of character, by upholding the principle of absolute sexual purity in accordance with God's will, and then entered into conjugal relations through his blessing, they would have attained complete oneness with him. 
good would have dwelt within their union. Their children also would have been linked to this holy order of love, enjoying a direct relationship with God as their parent. In other words, the marriage of perfected Adam and Eve based on absolute purity and conjugal love would have been God's own marriage. God is forever God, but at the same time, Adam and Eve were to have become his incarnations. They would have become God's body. God would have settled inside their minds and hearts to become the true parent of humankind, both the spiritual and physical worlds, on the foundation of absoluteness and conjugal love. So this ends our reading. Yes, so that's a wonderful reading. Do you have any initial comments on that, Scott? Uh, my initial comment is, uh, as the first part talked about the importance of purity before marriage, um, that it emphasizes the importance of marriage, uh, not just the marriage ceremony, but the effort and love that needs to be realized between husband and wife. And that love should be centered on God um, in the ideal, in ideal situation. Oftentimes um, families uh, try to accomplish something without God, but uh, God wants to be part of every marriage, every couple. So that's my initial, um, you know, summary of what we've read. Uh, there's all kinds of, there's different aspects that I thought about. Um, and one is the being absolute. And I think we've, the term absolute sounds, it's not used very much. Uh, in fact, it's my own past experience has been in a negative way that, um, so we need to understand the, that God has also an original standard and that goes to back to the time of Adam and Eve. And we're, we're dealing with each other as, as couples or as families are often, we can't think in terms of what God's original purpose is or God's original ideal is. But uh, this speech goes back to what God originally intended for all of us and not just um, Adam and Eve, but for all mankind. So the history of mankind has been so miserable uh, because we've not been able to realize ideal families, ideal couples, and even keep purity. So that's my initial feeling about it, Richard. I don't know if you any things mm -hmm. specific. Okay. Um, yeah. The first uh, family had uh, Cain and Abel problem, you know, it was like, well, and to me it's like a shock that Adam and Eve's first chil children had the, committed murder. I mean, this is shows that we have such a long way to go. Uh, and the yeah. history has been so miserable. Although this doesn't, 
I mean, specifically talk about Cain and Abel here, but it talk, does talk about the standard of like sexual purity and the key points needed to like follow God's standard. It mentions, you know, you have to adhere to principles of absolute sexual purity. So we're talking about that. And in the previous sections about, you know, that's the one and only commandment, you know, to stay, you know, sexually pure before marriage. And then also absolute sexual morality within a true family. So fidelity and love between husband and wife that's, you know, un unbreakable. And that way God can manifest in the family. So that, that's a pretty amazing point in itself there. Yeah, that, uh, that is an ideal. Um, my own experience is, is often we bring into a marriage different problems and uh, we really need to, I, one thing that I think people misunderstand is so much divorce is people think, oh, I'm not happy with my spouse, so I'm going to get a divorce. And we just parted ways. And uh, the original commitment, I mean, one thing in, that I learned in my Catholic upbringing was that matrimony was a sacrament. It was like compared to a vow that you, it's actually a vow that you take. And it's equivalent to a priest taking the vow of holy orders. It's, it's your life. Your life is um, is uh, now vowed to your wife or your husband uh, under God. So, um, and that's a it's a very important commitment that uh, seems recently have not been able. People haven't been. Uh, keeping that commitment. So, I agree. There's a um, lot of relativism, and of course, the the uh, trend toward cohabitation doesn't help. Statistically, I mean, we know that cohabitation, living together for marriage, doesn't increase your chance of um, success. Just the opposite. And also, just like you said, it's a commitment centered on God. So you know, in our tradition, unification tradition, we call it the um, blessing of marriage. So it even has a you know deeper significance that we're inheriting God's lineage, and it's like an absolute commitment. So it's not just like you know, oh well, you know, I didn't get along with my wife anymore, I didn't get along with my husband, or something like that. That we have to work through those problems that inevitably come up. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, takes uh, it sometimes marriages go through a lot of difficulties uh unexpected twists and turns and uh they really have to um reflect oh what was my original commitment in fact um well you know the this particular section started out that uh we have through children we become co-creators yes so we, we need to the uh, value, and I also said we are an origin. That, in other words, each each uh, of the husband and the wife need to recognize together that they are an origin and that they're co-creators. And they need to understand, oh, this is part of. Uh, I know the mom carries the baby, 
for nine months, but the father contributes as well. So both of them are uh, co-creators for uh, for their children. And yes. it may be a little more helpful if people come to say, you are the mother or you are the father of my children. I, I need to love you because you are the father of my child or you're the mother of my child. And uh, find the yes. Find the ways to really love and respect each other uh, from what their position is as a co-creator. Wow, beautiful. Yeah, and the co-creator and along with God, of course, without God, how could we have give birth to children? But also, you certainly can't give birth to a child without your husband or without your wife. That's a fact. Yeah, that's right. That's the first part of the reading. Thank you for pointing you know, that out. Yeah, and also another part, you know, it indicates the, the answer to the question, like who would have dwelt in the sexual union of Adam and Eve, you know, directly, had they maintained purity and, you know, entered into the marriage or conjugal relationship with his blessing. And that would have been God himself in that sexual union. And I think that also is a credible, um, you know, reality. You know, it's it's a reflective, of course, in the result of children, but also in the sexual union itself. That is that's, true. that's amazing. Uh, in other words, people, when they have sexual relations, there should be a sense that God is present and a prayerful attitude uh, in uh, that the understanding the value, what you, the value of that relationship needs to be centered on God. Absolutely. Not Absolutely. For, not just for pleasure. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, yeah, I think it's a whole gamut, you know, that centered on God, couples can, you know, experience all those things, but often, you know, in the world, they're experienced in other ways. So, you know, couples, you know, yeah, they are through like a, a good a good relationship. They can experience that joy in in a natural way. But so, yeah, and and you know recognize God at the center. I mean that's why he created that kind of union, you know, for his joy and of course our joy too. Yeah, the there is a crisis in a way because in the past. I believe there were certain roles that the, the husband played or the wife played. And now with um, birth control pills, with contraception, uh, there is the sexual relations have become separated from marriage. Mm. You mean from childbearing, or how do you mean separated from marriage? Well, people. They're, oh, they're, you mean people are having a lot of fornication sex outside of marriage? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. To me, that's a crisis. There's people we don't, we need to understand uh, that needs to be re, what do I say, re, um, redone, because we, there's been so much, um, the marriage has been weakened. And people don't understand uh, the value of marriage and 
especially among young people. Uh, they just are more concerned with, oh, maybe we should just have sexual relations, you know, casually. So, yeah, and that that is it's been a trail of destruction. Interestingly, uh, this one, um, like, uh, now, like a group I'm in, Health Freedom. One of the co-founders, Health, is um, has an interesting movie about the sexual revolution, and she's converted to Catholicism and is sees it more from that kind of viewpoint and how that um, none of those um, promises were de delivered on, of course. And she talks about the history of birth control, which the birth control pill is found like in the 50s. And she talks about how Pope Paul warned about that that would bring about a lot of destruction. And um, interestingly, now there's a huge crisis of, and she talks about one interesting thing is she was conceived, um, yeah, how do you say? through uh, artificial insemination and that caused a crisis of identity in her own life and all those kind of issues you know she's been dealing with and there's organizations that deal with that but part of that whole thing is one interesting thing i learned i didn't really know about the birth control pill not only has it caused this kind of breakdown of morale has caused a breakdown of morality but it's actually very likely or definitely responsible for a lot of the infertility because when people have been on the pill, birth control pill for 10 years or whatever, then they have a grave amount of trouble getting pregnant, many people. So now suddenly there's this huge, very profitable business where people spend, you know, 10 or $15,000 a pop trying to get pregnant. And it's really a huge crisis. And it's actually caused by this whole birth control thing. So the irony of it, you know, it's not brought fulfillment, but there's all kinds of destruction. Hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, I didn't realize that, that there's actually um, infertility associated with uh, birth control. Yeah, she was explaining in a like, lecture I was listening to that, like the cervix of a woman who is like, you know, 30, if she's been on birth control, say, for 10 years, is like the, a woman who's 40. And that it causes premature aging, and there may be other specific hormonal factors because you're messing with the hormones, you know. And I know as a fact, some of those things, like I'm not sure about every kind of birth control, but it's clear, like that is those shots some people take, Depo-Provera, that's very dangerous. Even it says on their packaging and stuff, because I was looking into that, that like after two years, there's something like eight or 15% chance, you still can't get pregnant. And there's a some percent chance, maybe 7% or something, you, you know, even more than that, you can't get pregnant. In other words, maybe you never can get pregnant. So it causes all kinds of problems. You know, that, that's also on a national issue or international issue that the birth rate in Western countries is below the replacement level. So, yeah, uh, I mean, I used to like, what, where's the, there, we need a future, you know, and people need to think. The, yeah, the I agree. Children. I mean, there's a trend toward delaying marriage that might have something to do with it. But I think the bigger problem is like what we're talking about. I mean, probably 20, 30, 40 years ago, there wasn't as much this big uh, fertility industry and all this stuff. You know, and then there's even bigger issues like that 
they're allowing there's very little regulation of homosexuals getting kids through like artificial insemination and there's been some horrendous examples of abuse and different things you know th these are these are like fundamental issues and so i think this this feature brings a solution you know if we follow absolute sexual purity if we understand the blessing of marriage and that we fell and we need to you know receive god's lineage we'll be talking more about that in the next installment and the ones after that then that's really the formula for true love and peace and well-being and all the things we're talking about yeah good it's um really um in a, an important aspect that people I, I really feel in one sense, the most one important thing is to understand that marriage should be centered on God. It's not sometimes marriage, the marriage ceremonies itself are like external partying and yeah, good I know. Uh, and yet uh, throughout history, marriage has been actually centered on something very spiritual. Um, the Jewish faith has a very strong marriage tradition um, also the catholic faith and protestant faith uh, but um, if christianity particularly is is weakened marriage becomes more it comes it doesn't become more like a vow but just so something you do you know and if it doesn't work oh it doesn't work so um yeah the, the other I aspect agree. The other aspect to um, marriage is there's so much divorce. Uh, I have one friend who actually, the, she was like 60 years old and or 50, about 50, and her parents got divorced, you know, like at the age of, of late 60s, something like that. They were, they, and um, it had a bad effect on her. So, uh there's that's another issue is that i don't think people think about the effect that divorce has on on children even adult children and adult older older adult children they yeah you know parents parents are parents for forever you know so it's sort of absolutely like, yeah that, i mean that i mean it, I think, yeah, the thinking about the effect on the children is a much, yeah, that that's really an, an important, a very important thing. Yeah, I mean, you could get into more deep other aspects of it, but talking about reproduction, like I realized that, you know, I was studying a little about that in the uh, Chun Sung Gyeong, that's one of the readings that Reverend Moon brought for our audience, one of the textbooks, and he talks about a number of times in there about birth control, so I was looking it up. And it, I, I realized though that even, not even anything that that's against the church policy. I mean, anyway, but a better way to put it is against God's will because you should be procreating. And if you know, and of course, Catholics traditionally have said you know that you should shouldn't use birth control. Although my understanding is that most Catholics ignore that. I don't know. Catholics can speak better to that. Although I did grow up Catholic, I'm now Unificationist. But anyway, point being that we should create beautiful children. So that's another serious issue, you know, not childbearing. You can't really, how do you say, 
you can't be a parent, obviously, without children, but also be missing those aspects of love. And since God is our parent, and, you know, that's just part of the process of life that God gave us. So that's very important. Yeah, actually, uh, one part from the reading uh, uh, talks about a three-generational family as well. And in a way, it could be a five-generational family between grandparents, parents, children, and uh, grandchildren. So uh, we were just talking the other night about the importance of having grandparents. And in my own, my own children have not been able to experience so much of that because both my wife's and my, parent, my uh, parents passed on before we had children, or they just, there's just the two oldest in our family. So the, there's an aspect of heart and love in children to experience both this, the love of a parent and the love of a grandparent, and vice versa. My own, my own uh, father was so happy with uh, with um, the two grandchildren before he, he passed on. It was like some, it brought a little, brought some excitement and joy to his life. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's the ideal. And I have to say in my own life, my, my grandma, especially my mother's mother, was very influential in my life. In fact, uh, when I was like, up till I was six, six, six to seven, she lived with us. And it really was a blessing. It really, 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 without that, I don't know. I mean, that was just, just had a core formational part of my being through that. So I will agree with you 100% on that. Yeah, my wife also uh, was able to live with her grand grandmother. And she talks about it very fondly, you know, as a very special experience. Yeah, and I don't know if that, that's maybe not as, as common these days, I don't think. But it is a, it is a good thing. That's yeah, one thing Reverend Moon has um, really emphasized is a three-generational family. Yeah, and it's interesting. I was just reading that. I think it's in this section even. That's actually, uh, well, they call it three-generational. He mentions four generations. You said five. I'm not sure about the five. The, let's see. The grandparents, parents, children, grandchildren. That's four. How do you get five? Great-grandchildren, right? <laughs> well, Maybe. See, grandparents, parents, yourself, you know, your generation, children, and grandchildren. So that's five. Okay, okay. Oh, yeah. all right. Your, yeah. your grandparents, your parents. Your generation. Okay, okay. And right. your children and grandchildren. Okay. All right. All right. But, so uh, yeah. It's unusual to have that that level to be able to experience that level. Okay. So yeah, for our viewers, I invite you to you know keep keep on with this series and um, also if you haven't yet, I'll put the links at the end and I'll put it underneath or go to uh, if you're listening on podcast Vision Root. That's V I S I O N R O O T dot org. Click on Daily Inspiration, get, get the Daily Inspiration readings from the Bible and the, the uh, New Truth, which is a complete testament brought by Reverend Sam Young Moon. And that'll be very enlightening for you. And, uh, you know, you can really be blessed by that. 
So any uh, closing thoughts on that, uh, Scott? On the anything? Yeah, uh, I want to thank you for all you're doing. Um, and I'm very grateful for the time that we could, um, I could study these words. Um, the only other point that I wanted to mention is there's a slight difference between morality and ethics. That ethics okay. talks about relationships, what our relationship with our parents are, relationship with um, your uh, wife, your children, and that's something that, is, and morality is more your own personal uh, belief and behavior, way you, way you, um, way you behave. So uh, it's both are very important, and yes. in a sense, uh, we need to uh, really work on both those aspects of our lives, the relationship and also through the word, uh, through God's word, we're able to develop our own uh, sense of what's right and wrong and put that into practice. Yes, and, and again, through the title of, yes, thank you for that, about the deep, uh, hard, I mean, deep understanding of ethics. And this is, uh, talks about the title, as we said, the family rooted in absolute sexual ethics, which is a model for God's absoluteness, peace, and ideal in the global kingdom. So, I mean, holy cow. I mean, that means basically it's everything, you know? I mean, absoluteness, peace, and ideal in the global kingdom. What else is there? I mean, so that's, that's just in, an incredible uh, statement right there. That means without sexual ethics and this ideal of absolutely good sexual ethics, which involves the husband, wife, the multi-generational family, then you cannot have God's absolute peace ideal in the global kingdom. And, you know, we could talk all day about that. But that is, is amazing, you know, understanding and one we need to really um, emphasize. So I hope everybody, you know, not just me, but every podcaster, video blogger, person in the universe will, you know, get this speech. You, if you're listening today, you know, grab this speech. You can find it on our website, visionroot.org, and do your own series on it. Have your own guests. Talk about it. Read it. Because this is revolutionary, and this is essential for the peaceful, ideal world. And I think there isn't anybody on earth who wouldn't like a peaceful, ideal world. That's right. Amen. Well, thank you again, Scott, for being on. A special friend of ours, the Birch family. We appreciate them a lot. And... Um, so I am your host, Richard Urban. Do join us next week for our next installment. We'll have uh, Stephen Downward on next week. And do be blessed. We'll see you next time.